I would like to welcome all those joining us online today. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelley and I have the privilege to lead this great group of people called Connection Point Church. Because the church isn't a building, it's the people inside. So what a joy that it is that we get to be here and do that. Jim already said it, but he is risen. He is risen indeed. If you're new to church, on Easter we get to celebrate that. So we have that understanding he is risen and he is risen indeed. What a great thing to be able to come together and celebrate on this Easter Sunday morning. We love it. Well, I would like to personally thank all those that helped us with Easter extravaganza. What a great day yesterday. Just fun to engage with uh, families in our community. And of course, great to see the kids just loving life on bounce houses, RC cars, and everything else. That was great. What a great way to have time with community yesterday. We love it. Well, well, Shelly and I, a couple of weeks ago, we took our kids on spring break, went down to visit Shelly's brother in Florida, and had a great time there. It was a nice, nice time away, and just a great time in the sun with the kids, and her brother has a pool in his backyard, so we had a great time at the pool with the kids. Our kids love to swim, and it's always fun to watch what kind of personality kind of comes out in the pool. In other words, how you enter into the pool. There's different methods. So I'd like to find out how many of you are deep-end divers, like you just go in. You're like, forget it, I'm just going all in. Oh, we've only got a few of those. How many of you are like shallow-end waiters? Yeah, we got a bunch of those. A <laughs> little bit at a time. Some of you, you just kind of dangle your toes. That's, that's about it, you know? Some of you forget it. You're just like, I'm not going in the pool. I ain't not touching it. Kids are the same way, so it's fun to see our kids and what they want to do. Lucas took the middle road. Uh, Uncle Ryan, he had a big inflatable swan. And so he, that, seeing that in the pool, is like, I'm just going to jump on that. So he jumped on that swan. So he was in the water, but not in the water. It's kind of a nice in-between. The challenge was, all the kids were jumping on it. So, of course, what happens? It flips. And then all of a sudden, Lucas, <gasps> you know, <laughs> that shock of I'm in the water. But, you know, of course, your body gets used to it. And then it's refreshing. It's like, it's nice to be in here. It's hot outside, so it's nice to be in the water. You know, what's interesting is, as I was looking at the message this morning, we're going to get into Romans chapter 6, and what I reflected upon in, in thinking about our spring break time at the pool is, you know, Christians have a lot of that same experience in the way that they either fully embrace the resurrected life they have in Christ, or they're still maybe kind of wading in, just kind of trying it out. Some are just kind of toe in the pool. I'm going to try this out a little bit, see what this Christianity thing is. It's interesting to see how people embrace what it means to follow after Christ. You've got those deep-end divers, they're all in. They're embracing and immersed in that resurrected life. But you've got some kind of waiting in the shallow end, kind of a little bit further, a little bit further, or, unfortunately, could be walking further away in the other direction. But the challenge is, you know, in the shallow end, you've still got that cold air all around you takes a long time to really get used to the pool. And in spiritual terms, it's like the world all around you. You're not all in, so then it's still uncomfortable. It's a bit uncomfortable in the water, and it's a bit uncomfortable in the world. That's not what we're called to in Christ. We're called to be fully immersed, to be all in, to truly experience the resurrected life that Jesus came to bring us. You know, as, as we think about Easter we reflect upon Jesus that he is risen, we find that we are invited to live this resurrected life with him. Man, 
When you really stop and meditate on that, why would we not embrace that? Why would we not grab hold of that? Why would we not dive into the deep end and be all in? So this is what we're going to get into this morning as we examine a passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 6. And as we do, here's what you'll find. We'll find that you can experience a resurrected life by putting your complete faith in Jesus. So we're going to get into Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, and I do hope you do. If you're here today visiting, maybe you don't have a Bible with you. We do have Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. You're welcome to use that. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that home as a gift from the church. We want everybody to have God's Word. It's our instruction book in life. It helps us stay on the right path. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, simply out of reverence for His Word. Not that we worship the Word, we don't, but we want to be able to highlight and understand and be thankful to God for God. Thank you for sending us your Word, and we have it here. May we utilize it. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Verses 3 through 10. 3 through 10. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. Usually I do the ESV, but it's close enough you'll be able to follow along. So Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Amen. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So the first thing we find in this passage is that you can experience a resurrected life because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. On your way in the door today, you may have seen on some tables outside a book from Lee Strobel, The Case for Easter. And in this book, he basically lays out the evidence for Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so I just want to run through a couple of things in understanding. We first want to examine... For us to have the experience and resurrection of Jesus, we first need to know, did Jesus rise from the dead? And this book helps explain that. So you're welcome to pick up a copy on your way out this morning. So in this book, Lee, a former atheist, he lays out reasons that we can be confident in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He first talks about the medical evidence regarding the death of Jesus, because he can't rise unless he died first. There have been many throughout history who have tried to explain away the resurrection by believing that Jesus simply fainted on the cross and three days later he woke up and he walked out of the tomb. That's one of the theories. It's called a swoon theory. So the first question to be answered is, did Jesus die on the cross? When you examine the events leading up to the cross, it's a pretty gruesome picture if you've ever looked at the details. Sweating drops of blood due to extreme stress a medical condition referred to as hematidrosis. So this is a real thing. 
It's a condition associated with a high degree of psychological stress. And then Jesus is later flogged by the Roman soldiers, tearing open his backsides, causing Jesus to experience hypovolemic shock. And we know this because some of the symptoms that we read about in Scripture dictates that. That is, he stumbled on the way to the cross. This is a part of that because of the loss of blood. He was thirsty on the cross. These things point to that being the case. This led to, uh, so by the time Jesus is hung on the cross, think about where he's at just in that moment. He's already in serious to critical condition. So how did a person die on the cross? Well, crucifixion is essentially an agonizingly slow death by asphyxiation. The reason is that the stresses on the muscles in the diaphragm as they were hung on a cross, it put the chest into the inhaled position. So basically, in order to exhale, what an individual must do is they must push up on their feet to release the tension on the muscles so it could be eased for a moment. And so then after managing to exhale, the person would then be able to relax down and take another breath. But again, he'd have to push himself back up to exhale. So this would go on and on until complete exhaustion would take over and the person would no longer be able to push up and breathe anymore. As the person slows down his breathing, he goes into what's called respiratory acidosis. The carbon dioxide in the blood is dissolved into car- as, as carbonic acid, causing the acidity of the blood to increase. This is what's happening. So they can't breathe, carbon dioxide takes over, and it eventually leads to an irregular heartbeat. With Jesus' heart beating erratically, Jesus would know that this is a part of what's happening, like he knows something's about to happen here. He would have known he's in the moment of his death, which is when he can say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died of cardiac arrest. So if you pick up a copy of this on your way out, Lee Strobel really dives into the evidence for this, goes into it a lot deeper. But suffice it to say, Jesus died on the cross. Now what about his resurrection? What about the empty tomb? Because the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, is the ultimate representation of Jesus' claim to be God. In other words, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. In fact, Paul, a follower of Jesus, responsible for writing a lot of the New Testament, here's what he writes in a book called 1 Corinthians. He says in, in chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. Those are strong words. If Jesus did not die and rise again, Christians are following a sham. And they should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Otherwise, the resurrection, as we look at it, it is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It is the miracle of all miracles. So did Jesus rise again? Was there an empty tomb? Well, we could look at our first reason for proof is we look at passages like 1 Corinthians 15, where the empty tomb is talked about. So 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, And if Christ, nope, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. 
though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by the apostles. This passage is old, and so it's reliable in pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. But now secondly, so that's one proof, is we have an old, reliable source. Number one, and so number two is the site of Jesus' tomb, it was known to both Christian and Jew alike. So now consider this. If it weren't empty, it would be impossible for a movement founded on belief in the resurrection to have come into existence in the same city where this man was executed and buried. No way a movement starts in the same city because Jews and Christians both knew that that's where Jesus was buried. So there had to be an empty tomb. Third reason, the earliest written account we have of the empty tomb comes from the New Testament book of Mark. And we know for the book of Mark, it occurs too early for it to be legend. For legends to happen, you have to have some time for those stories to kind of come about. Well, Mark is too early an account for that to happen. Fourth reason is the simplicity of the account of the resurrection. It points to its genuine nature. You know, fictional stories, if you have kids and you ask them a, a question, one of the tests that you can know whether they're telling the truth or not is how many things they want to add to it, right? <laughs> fictional stories have a lot of flowery details to it. Well, we see the resurrection story, it's simple because it's authentic, it's real, it's genuine. Fifth reason is the unanimous testimony that the empty tomb was discovered by women. It argues for the authenticity of the story because the testimony of women in the first century was not something to be respected. So gospel writers would not have included this for the reason is it would be embarrassing to the disciples to admit and most certainly would have been covered up if it were legend. So they would not have claimed this to be true. The sixth reason is the Jews knew the tomb was empty because they made up a story the guards had fallen asleep. So if they're making up a story, they know Jesus' body is not there. They bore witness to the fact that the body of Jesus was no longer in a grave. And as we read in 1 Corinthians and is elaborated in the first four books of the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four, what we find is there is multiple appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. He appeared to a woman named Mary Magdalene and other women, as was mentioned. He appeared to the disciples and to others. And if Jesus had not appeared to the disciples after his burial and resurrection, think about it, it's highly unlikely they would have been willing to share his story with others to the point where they were willing to die for the story of Jesus. There's no way they would have done it. And so who is it then that raised Jesus from the dead? God did. Because God brings life. God who created the world has the power and the potential to resurrect. And he has that in our lives as well. God has the power and the potential to resurrect the life that you lead. The existence of God creates the possibility of resurrection. So if you're not sure about the resurrection of Jesus, pick up a copy on the case for Easter on your way out, read through it. There's great evidence in there. Because without resurrection, there is no Christian faith. And with resurrection... Jesus is surely the Son of God who promises eternal life through him. You can experience a resurrected life because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And you can experience a resurrected life because you are resurrected with him. That's unbelievable. You can experience a resurrected life because you are resurrected with him. Here's what Paul writes from our passage this morning. In Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, 
Now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. What a promise. We, by putting our faith in Jesus, are resurrected with him. Jesus was risen, and though he, we may die, we will rise with him as well. Jesus leads the way, and behind this mighty champion, every one of his followers walks through the tomb in the power of the resurrection. The stone is rolled away for us as it was rolled away for him. This is why on Easter we say, He is risen. He is what? He's risen indeed. That's why we celebrate it. And what does it mean to live in the resurrection? It is the experience of a new life. And it is the hope of life forever with God. If you follow Jesus, you can be confident of the eternal life that he has secured for us. But what does a new life mean for us in the present? When someone becomes a Christian, their change of state and relationship to evil is as dramatic as moving from death unto life. Those are the words that we have. I mean, are, are we simply in limbo, waiting for the day to enter into eternity? Not at all. For Christ has set us free not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. What a great thing he did on the cross. If you're a believer, then in this life, you are already benefiting from the power and influence of the resurrection. God gives us hope for the future, but he also wants us to transform the way that we live until we fully attain that hope. Jesus gives us a new life. When we're born again, a phrase referring to the new life that we gain in Jesus, we receive a life which we never before possessed. We receive this life, we begin to feel, to think, and to act as we never did before. We're changed from the inside out. Only God can do that. You know, there's things that can influence us from the outside, but only God can change the heart. You live to please God. Before, you lived for yourself. You lived to simply make yourself happy in this life, but now you hold on to a whole new set of values. You think about eternity because it holds your treasures. And I'm not talking about mansions. I'm talking about people. Why? Because people are our treasures and God is our joy. Your new life has new objectives. You live for the glory of God. The will of God has now become your priority in a resurrected life. You count yourself happy as you fulfill his purposes, honor his name, and extend his kingdom. Your, your inner life has made you conscious of new emotions. Your concerns are new. Your hopes are new. Your sorrows are new. Your joys are new. Everything is absolutely new. You've entered into a new world, one far greater than the one that nature reveals. And yet there are those who've crossed over into a new life, and they have not fully embraced the freedom they have in Christ. So we know we can be granted this resurrected life, but we've got people that don't fully enter into that. They're still wading through the shallow end of the pool. Jesus has set them free from the power of sin, but they continue to live as though they're enslaved to it. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then your identification with Christ means you're no longer dominated by sin. You should no longer be a slave to sin. Since sin's power over us has been broken, we should reflect that new freedom in the way that we live. Sin should no longer characterize us. We must not let evil rule our hearts. 
but we give ourselves in service to God. Think of it this way. What God has done for us is the basis and the stimulus for what we need to do for God. Only by constantly looking at ourselves as people who have really died to sin and made alive in Christ will we be able to live out the new status that God has given us. Since Paul himself uses the imagery of a slave, we can use the analogy of a newly freed slave after the Civil War here in America. Think about this. When slaves were freed after the Civil War in America, that slave would know in a certain sense he or she was liberated, but it might take some time for this truth to penetrate the consciousness in a way that it leads to different behavior. It's the same way in following Christ. We must not let evil reign in our lives. Why? Because you are meant to be dead to it. Jesus' death frees you from the power of evil. As you become a follower of Jesus, you are both empowered and summoned to live a new kind of life by the nature of who Jesus is. If you are joined to Jesus in resurrection, do not return to the dark grave of which you had come out from. Don't become enamored with the tomb and return to it. Sin is no longer your master. Don't let it reign. Don't let it in. But know up front, putting away those sins that plague us will be no automatic process, something that will happen without our cooperation. So we've got to work in this identity. No, Paul insists in our passage this morning, the determination of our own will is called for to turn what has happened from principle into a reality. When Paul talks about the old self being crucified, he's talking about our sinful condition as children of Adam. What is crucified then is that relationship. Our tie to Adam is dissolved. He and the sin and the death he represents no longer dictate terms to us. And if our old self is Adam as corporate head of the human race, then the new self in Jesus is the corporate head of the church. Breakthrough in the Christian life will come as we learn to live out our new relationship that God has put us in. We belong to a new corporate structure or regime dominated by Jesus and not Adam. That new relationship provides for all the power we need to stop living in evil and to live in God's glory. Praise God for that. Now think about this in these terms. So we've got lots of cornfields around here. So think about two cornfields adjacent to each other, but high rock walls. So now you've got to think like British. So if you've ever seen British countryside, think high rock walls, okay? Everybody got that mental picture? So two fields, adjacent fields, high rock wall in between the two. Every person begins life in one of those fields, a field ruled over by Satan and evil. We all start here, every one of us. We see in Psalm that we are born in sin. That's where we all begin. It's called original sin. Every person begins there. We have no chance of scaling the walls and escaping that field on our own. We can't do it on our own. But God, in his grace, he reaches down, takes us out of that Satan-dominated field, and puts us in a field, that adjacent field that's ruled by Jesus and righteousness. A decision change in our position has taken place. We are in a whole new relationship to sin. However, we can still hear Satan calling across the wall from that old field where we used to live. And out of long habit, we sometimes still obey his voice, even though we don't have to. We overcome sin by moving further and further away from that wall, dividing the fields so that the voice of Satan becomes fainter and fainter in our lives. 
So I encourage you, live out your new life in Christ. Be kind to that colleague who bothers you, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Be generous when your inclination is to otherwise be selfish. You can experience a resurrected life because you are resurrected with him. The last point is this, that you can experience a resurrected life by putting your faith in Jesus. You can experience a resurrected life by putting your faith in Jesus. To enter into a new life, you must first die. That's the first step. Participation in the resurrection of Jesus always follows participation in his death. Living with Christ automatically follows dying with him. They are always one includes the other. Burial both sets the seal on death and it prepares for which is to follow, living a new life patterned after the resurrection of Jesus. Last Sunday, 24 people were water baptized. It was amazing, 24 people. It was an incredible day. And what a wonderful picture we have as we look at that and then think about Easter. And from our passage this morning, Paul shows how the transfer from the state of evil to a new life has taken place. In baptism, what we were seeing last week, we're joined to Christ, to his death as we go down, and then his resurrection as we come up. Again, is that to say baptism saves you? No, belief does. But in essence, baptism stands for our whole conversion experience. We're brought into union with Jesus and in the powerful events of his redemptive work. The effects of these events, they go before us. They work in us. That means we now have the ability to live a new life. Those who participate in Christ's death and resurrection, they have died to sin and they now live to God. So death is required. And so then the question is, this is why Jesus died on the cross. He died as our substitute because we have an evil nature. We were born in Satan's field. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And so we must die first so that we can rise with Jesus. And what an incredible loving father that God the Father would send his son for us. Paul continues. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And then how do we join Jesus in death in order to join him in resurrection? Paul continues in Romans chapter 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And Paul continues, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise we have in Jesus that we can be resurrected with him. We have to die with him to experience his resurrection. So to put your faith in Jesus, you need to understand it starts with you have an evil heart. Second thing is you pray, you ask Jesus to forgive for your sins and to ask Jesus to live as Lord of your life. That's important. He's not only our Savior, but he is our Lord. We've got to follow him. And you believe that God raised him from the dead. You can experience a resurrected life by putting your faith in Jesus. So where do you find yourself this morning? You need to ask yourself that question. Have you dove in? Are you immersed in the resurrection life? Or are you waiting in the shallow end, still deeply influenced by the world around you? 
Living for Jesus is uncomfortable because you've not fully embraced your new life. Or maybe you're on the edge of the pool, just dangling your toes in. You want to get a taste, but you're not sure about diving in. It makes you uncomfortable. You might be scared to jump in. Or you could be somewhere else altogether. Maybe the pool hasn't even been in sight. But I encourage you this morning, jump in. Enjoy the refreshing waters. Whether the pool hasn't been in sight or you're wading into the shallow end, join those experiencing a new life in Jesus. How could your life look different by fully embracing the new life that Jesus gives? How could your interactions with your spouse improve? What about your interactions with your kids? How could your outlook on life be different knowing Jesus, the Son of God, is the one resurrected from the dead? Well, I'd like to invite you to stand this morning as we're going to close in song today. And as you're standing, I'd like to ask, are you here today and you've been living without Jesus? But do you have a desire to today live a resurrected life? How could your life look different if you were living a new life? If you walked out of here today in a new life, different from the way that you came, well, right now you can acknowledge your desire to follow Jesus, to follow after him and experience that new resurrected life today. So with every head bowed here this morning, I'd like to ask if that's you today, you've been living without Jesus, but you say, you know what? I want to live in that resurrected life. I want to experience a resurrected life. Simply raise your hand and we're just going to pray with you today so that we can see you walk out of here in the new life that Jesus promises. Anybody here today that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I haven't been living for God, but I want to change that today. A day that we celebrate resurrection. We're going to dismiss here in a moment after we sing. And if God is stirring in your heart in that way, I just encourage you, instead of going out the doors this morning when we dismiss, just come forward to the front. Pastor Mark, our youth pastor, is up here in the front. And he'd love to meet up with you just to pray with you, give you a Bible, information on where you go from here if you want to follow after Jesus. Because we may come to Christ alone, but we grow in Christ together, so you need that experience. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you that we can come together and celebrate resurrection today. God, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross so that we can have eternity with you. And so God, I do pray that you would help us to fully embrace the resurrected life that we can live in you. I pray that we wouldn't just wade in the shallow end, but be immersed in this resurrection life that we can live for you fully. Help us live that out, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.